on today's message from Harvest Church of God. Stumblers cannot get past the things they stumble over because they just can't believe. The greatest sin is the sin of unbelief. It will disqualify you from everything God has. You can today put a stop and an end to what you have been. Today, you can start afresh. You can start all over. How do I do that, Pastor? By simply having faith and attach it to grace and hope and say to God, Lord, restore me. God, cleanse me and wash me. I'm sorry for my stubbornness and I'm sorry for my rebellious ways. And I repent of them today. And right now, oh God, I submit. Father, we pause in your presence now to ask for your assistance, to ask for your anointing, your direction. Let your word truly be a light to our path this morning. And God, I pray that you would touch this unworthy vessel that you would speak through and use as an instrument to convey faith-building truth. Touch us now as we study your word. We pray in God's name. Amen and amen. When last we were in session and had uh, the opportunity to share the Word of God, we stopped in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to take up right there and uh, proceed further, talking about who we are in the body of Christ, who we are in God's estimation, who we are in uh, eschatological terms. Eschatological means the future. That means what does God's people, what role do we play in the future? Amen. What, what's going to happen? Uh, where, where are we headed? What is the goal? What is the objective and the mission of God's people? Let's begin at 1 Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, and as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a, a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus." Now let's stop right there and catch up with where Peter is taking us to in this discourse. The book of 1 Peter was written somewhere around 57, 55 to 57 A.D. By this time, much of the correspondence of the New Testament had already been circulated. Peter was a great spokesman in the New Testament. Number one, he preached on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts at which at the conclusion, those who heard him said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that was the answer. It's become so prominent, especially among Pentecostals who believe that the Pentecostal outpouring is a part of God's redemptive plan. So then Peter was a very outspoken person, and that's uh, pretty true to his character. He wasn't a person that had a religious background. 
He was a fisherman in a little fishing community on the Sea of Galilee named Bethsaida. And he came from that uh, little place there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee and spent his whole life working as a, a fisherman. When one day, praise God, one day a Galilean, a man whose name is Jesus, came by and said, follow me. Leave your net that you're mending and preparing that you're washing and getting ready for a next day's fishing trip. Leave that and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. From that time on, Peter was challenged with becoming a pillar in the church. That was God's will for his life. And though just a few days before Pentecost, he had denied the Lord and had denied that he even knew him and had nothing to do with the man. But it's those kind of people that the Lord restores and redeems. Now, if we were preparing the agenda for service on Pentecost Sunday, probably wouldn't have put Peter up there because we wouldn't know very much about what he would have to say. But when he got through talking to the elders of Israel, he said, this Jesus, whom you laid the axe to the root of the tree, whom you crucified, he said, him hath God highly exalted. Him hath God magnified and lifted up to become the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone of the building. Now, not having any kind of background religiously as a Jewish uh, person, he believed in the temple. He believed it was the center of, of all of God's expressions of love and ordinance for the church. He believed that the temple was the place where men ought to worship. Everything that went on religiously took place at the temple, and it was a strong Jewish understanding that at Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship, that the city of Jerusalem was a holy city, and that holiest of all was the temple where man comes to meet with God, where relationships are formed, where you meet God on terms of needing his help and needing his grace and needing his provision for redemption. So then Peter had this understanding. Did you know that Peter's speeches, his preaching is takes up 365 verses of the New Testament. Wow. Man, your New Testament is chopped full of preaching and speeches by, by, by Peter. It's over one-third of, of the correspondence in these letters that we call to churches. So Peter was such a dominant figure in this whole notion of new life in Christ. And I want you to hold on to that understanding in, in Judaism that Jerusalem and the temple is the place. Now he comes to this place in this verse, in this uh, uh, letter that he's writing to Jewish people, and he's also let, read Paul, and he's also read some of the other writers because by this time Paul's Roman letter had been well circulated. And in Paul's Roman letter, especially chapter 4, he talks about how, how the deeds of righteousness and how all of the acts to satisfy God's uh, wrath and judgment were all wrapped up in the coming of the Lord Jesus as opposed to the works of righteousness which were taught by Judaism. So all of these people felt like their righteousness was in going to the temple and doing the things at the temple, offering their, their sacrifice, sending the priest back to the presence, that they could not participate in presence 
and they could not participate in bringing your offering. You had to give it to somebody. They had to take it to God. So this whole notion of the temple and the building and the stones that erected the building. Now, notice this. Every stone that was in the building was hewn and fitted there. It was purposely intended to be where it was and where it was, was sent. Listen to what this verse says. If you've tasted of Christ, you know the Lord is gracious. And it said, to whom coming, the Lord Jesus, as unto a living stone. That the Lord Jesus is called a living stone. Now, this comes from various passages in the Old Testament that point to the Lord Jesus as a living stone. One is in Isaiah it's chapter 28 and verse 16. When Isaiah, who was the messianic prophet, anybody know what I'm talking about? He was the prophet. Sometimes we call it the gospel of Isaiah because he preached so much about Jesus and prophesied so much about Jesus. And that gospel preaching prophet said this in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, and a precious cornerstone, and a sure foundation. He that believeth on him shall not make haste. That's a strange phrase of words, not make haste. It literally means he shall not die the final death. That what that means is to spiritually die the second death. It's and what Matthew talks about in Jesus' uh, speeches to some Pharisees, what would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? That's the same grouping of words that is used right here of make haste. It means to fail in man's greatest ambition. What is man's greatest ambition? To serve God in such a way that you can go to his presence, that you'll be rewarded one day in heaven, that you'll escape the awfulness of hell, that you'll never appear in judgment, but you'll be blessed and you'll be received by God. That is the ambition of everyone in this building, I hope. Everybody in this building, I think, hopes that when the trumpet sounds, you get up. I think everybody in this house has the ambition to participate in God's eschatological program for his people. Whatever God has in mind for us in the future, I want to be a part of it, don't you? Amen. I don't want to be a part of a system that opposes God's plans and God's purpose and God's mission for every one of us. And it says this, this building, this is, it has a, a, a chief cornerstone. And that chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus, a foundation that is tried and is precious. And the Bible says, unto them therefore that believe, he is precious. Is Jesus precious to you this morning? Is the person of the Lord Jesus of value to you this morning? Does the life that he lived and the death that he died and the resurrection that he rose, it, are, are you, is that precious to you? The Bible calls it like precious faith. Even the faith to believe that those things are true is precious. Even the thoughts about that, that process is precious. For all that Jesus did and all that he gave, all that he purchased for us is a precious thing in our sight. If that's a precious thing to us, we shouldn't have to be prodded and pushed to say, oh, how I love Jesus. 
We should never have to drag a praise out of a congregation if he's precious. If he's precious. If what he did is precious to you. If that means something. If that's of great value to you. Nobody should ever have to lead you around trying to get you to praise God. There ought to be, like David said, continual praise in my mouth. Continual praise in my mouth. Continual worship in my mouth because of what he has done for me. Jesus told that demoniac of Gadara, you stay on this piece of ground and you tell everybody you see what great things God has done for you. Hallelujah. But that stone is a precious stone. And the Bible said it is a chief cornerstone. He came as a, a living stone. You mean an abstract, non-living element like a stone is a metaphor of what Jesus is to us. Well, unlike the stones that are the pebbles in your driveway, this stone is a lively stone. This stone has life. It's not an inanimate object. This stone has a purpose. This is a lively stone. And the Bible said, because he lives, you shall live also. Then what does that make you? Also a lively stone. Not a dead stone. Not an inactive stone. Oh, glory to God. But a stone that is a lively stone. Praise God. And Jesus is that lively stone that came to us, disallowed indeed of men, not received by the aristocracy and the religious system, but he's rejected by men, but he's chosen by God. Rejected by men, but chosen by God. Then why do you think that this world ought to, ought to think something great of you? If you're a lively stone that the world rejected, why do you want to be a stone that the world would accept? Why would you want to please men, amen, who can't reward you of anything except some words of uh, praise or commendation or allocades? He says right here that that stone that the builders rejected, that stone that men and religious systems rejected, but the Bible said, but he was chosen by God. Can I tell you sometimes what God chooses falls into contradiction with men? Can I tell you that this world will never be crazy or favorable to the fact that Jesus died for lost sinners? Never will be. Never has embraced that. In fact, the Bible said, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. For they're spiritually discerned. Don't ever think this world is going to get excited about Jesus. Don't ever think Congress or governments are ever going to get excited about Jesus saving sinners. That's not going to happen. The Bible said the kingdoms of this world are opposed to the kingdom of our God. The kingdom of our God has a great past, but it's got a great present, and it's also got a great future. God is intending for things to come into alignment. And I can tell you as a one who studies this word and eschatological material, it looks like things are really shaping up right now for one final thing to happen. 
Watch the next thing that's going to happen, Pastor. The Lord Jesus is going to come in the clouds of glory. That's the next thing that's going to happen. There's nothing on God's calendar to prevent Jesus from coming right now. There is nothing in these scriptures that has to be done before Jesus appears in the clouds of glory. There is no prophecy. There is no kind of edict. There is nothing in that word that would prevent the Lord Jesus from coming today. And we all who believe Jesus is precious should be apt to say, even so come Lord Jesus. Even so come Lord Jesus. But the stone that was disallowed by men is chosen by God. Now, we've got to wrap our minds around the construction process back in those days. Uh, Roger and other builders would tell us about laying out a house, but the way they would lay out a house in those days, they would take a tried stone. That means one that has been hewn to proper size, one that had no blemish in any way, one that was straight and one that was square. And they would place that stone and build a house according to that stone. And they called it the cornerstone. Hallelujah. You know, when, when we were boys, kids, when I first started playing baseball, we would go out and work so hard clearing a field out. We'd get all the brush cut off of it and the briars and the brambles and we'd clean it off, you know and hopes of making us a ball field. Every little community when I was a kid had a ball field somewhere. Absolutely. Everybody had a glove and everybody played in that, that community. All those little boys on Patilla Street when I was a kid, all of us played, played baseball. And we would had us a field up there behind the church that we cleared out. But when we started to, to build that, we took one piece and we saved up our money till we got it, and it was called a home plate. And we placed it there first because everything else about that field depended upon that first home plate that we put down. And everything, that thing was like a pyramid at the back. It came like this, and a line went down to the left, and that was called left field. And a line went out that way, and it was called right field. And everything that was going to go on in that, on that field had to be inside those lines if it was going to be legitimate. You hit one outside the line, it's called a foul. I'm hoping you're getting that in your mind's eye because when God started building his house, he put Jesus down as the first stone, a tried stone, a perfect stone. It's tried and it's true and it's accurate and it's square. And God said, we'll build from here. We'll start at Jesus and we'll build from here. And everything that's outside that line won't be part of the building. And anything that's behind that line, it won't be part of the building. Everything about my spiritual house is going to be lined up with Jesus. Glory to God. Anything.
anything that's not Jesus is outside the line. Anything that doesn't fit inside the building, then it's not of Jesus. Therefore, it's not of God. Glory to God. So then God has once established Jesus as Lord of all. In fact, he is so complete and totalitarian that he, the Bible said, is all and in all. The Bible said everything that was made was made by him. Everything that was created was created by the word of his mouth. The Bible said he hath preeminence over all things. And it hath pleased God that Jesus Christ be placed as the head, the chief cornerstone of the building. And all the lively stones that are sitting in this house and in sanctuaries across America, yea, across this globe, every person in that spiritual house is there because Jesus Christ is the head cornerstone of our building. He is the pattern. He is the one we fashion our lives after. And everything outside that line is not Christ. It must be within the line of Jesus. As I said, the Roman letter had, had been translated and carried about to many, many people. In Romans 9 and 31, listen to what Paul says to the Romans. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why could they not? That speaks of failure, doesn't it? It tells us they tried to do something, but they could not. They tried to make the law work, but they could not. They tried to make works righteousness happen, but they could not. It, you see, nothing could ever take that stain of sin out of your life. Nothing could change that nature that was born in rebellion against God. Nothing could do that. The law, the Bible said, is just a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ, but it can never have that life in itself. It is just a list. It is just a, a category of moral codes, and it does not have any redeeming ability. The Bible said they tried their best to achieve righteousness, but they hath not obtained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore or why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Now that's Paul, and that's in his letter that he's written to Romans. When Peter, no doubt Peter read it many times. No doubt Peter had, had explored its words and phrases and its, its pictures, word pictures many times. But he said, they stumbled over the cornerstone. They stumble over the fact that Jesus is Lord. They stumble over the fact that in Him there is life. They stumble over the, over the fact that there is salvation in no other. They stumble over the fact that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that He is Lord. That was a stumbling block to them and they just could not walk in righteousness because they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Verse 33 says, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion 
a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What does that word not be ashamed has to do with your final encounter when you stand before the Lord. You won't have to be ashamed when you stand before the Lord. God is not ashamed of you. You shouldn't be ashamed of yourself. Because he has taken all of that shame away. All of that guilt and that condemnation is taken away. And you're a new creature. You're a lively stone now. Stumbling block. That Jesus is a stumbling block to all religions that try to get to heaven by works righteousness. Wow, that's good stuff. And Paul calls Jesus then a stumbling stone that many people will never reach the place that they can have faith in God. He said they couldn't attain it because they didn't pray by faith. They didn't pray believing. Why then would God say without faith it is impossible to please God without believing, without coming in faith? Why did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, for you are saved by grace through faith. If faith is not mingled with grace, then you cannot accomplish redemption. If faith is not mingled with grace, then there is no forgiveness for sin. And he said they could not make it. They stumbled over it because they could not mix grace with faith. They could not believe that God would just forgive someone they had to attach some kind of penance to that. They had to attach some kind of consequence to that. That God can't just say, well, you're forgiven. God can't just say to you, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You've got a new start. You're a new creature in Christ. They stumbled over that. They just could not accept that peace with God, justification, could happen without some kind of doing, without attaching some kind of deed to be done. Jesus said it all when he said, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe from your heart, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth and believe from your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You see, if you cannot muster the faith to mix that with grace, that what God says when he said, I will remember their sin no more and I'll cast it behind me. If you can't accept that it's by grace through faith that we're saved, then you can't accomplish redemption. Redemption can never occur unless faith is the basis upon, you, upon which you base your praying. He that cometh unto me must believe. He that would come unto God must believe that God is, and that is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. You see, all of this rhetoric and all of this talk is about God, and it's about justice, about justice. It's about that stone is about justice. You see, he said, but you are a chosen generation. You're not one who stumbles. You're not one who stumbles over grace and faith. You're not one that stumbles over who Jesus is. 
You're not one that stumbles over the fact that he paid a debt for all of humanity once and forevermore. And you don't stumble at that. That, that makes you a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. You see, stumblers do so because they do not believe. Stumblers cannot get past the things they stumble over because they just can't believe. You see, the greatest sin is the sin of unbelief. It will disqualify you from everything God has. All kinds of promises are given to them that believe, to people who believe He's precious, to people who believe, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, the same is born of God. Did you hear that? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, the same is born of God. I'm going to say it again. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, the same is born of God. No wonder Scripture declares, not by works of righteousness which we have done, hath he saved us, but by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. For you were called with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to your faith. Amen. It is faith, believing, putting faith and grace together. And he said, and I don't want you to get the, the notion that people who stumble can't get up. That's not what this is saying. It, this, this is saying people who stumble at Jesus will never get up until they correct their believing about who Jesus is. If you don't accept who Jesus is, you won't ever get up. You may stumble. You may have stumbled 20 years. But one day you heard a message and you felt a conviction and the Holy Spirit led you to believe that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong. And once you started getting up, you had to believe in the one you stumbled over in order to get back up. But there is no getting up without faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the propitiation for our sins. Chosen, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice this. We did not replace Israel. There's nothing in this correspondence that would cause you to believe that God gave up on Israel. No. God did not. That, that's not replacement theology. That's, that's not replacement Never is he talking about that. When he calls you a hagios ethnos, he's calling you a holy nation. A hagios ethnos, a holy nation. God's people is a holy nation. They're a different people. They're of a, of a different citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, the Bible said, from whence we look for the Lord of glory. Verse 10, he says, which in time past were not even a people. But now you have become the people of God. How did you become the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy? When you believe that God is merciful and you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, when you can believe the things that other people stumble over, 
and you can believe that you're a lively stone and you're put in the, the spiritual house. God has a spiritual house. God has a spiritual being. And it's made up of all the redeemed, of all generations, all peoples that have accepted Jesus as Lord. Brother, what a building that is. You were not a people, but now you've obtained mercy. Verse 11, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. A stranger? In what tech context am I a stranger, Pastor? This world is not your home. You're not of this world. You're not of this world. You're not bound by the things with which this world is bound by. You're not tethered and in bondage to the things that enslaves people in the world. You're not of the world. The Bible said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away with the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides forever and forever. Now this belief then that that temple was a sacred place, and for many years it was, it was. But when God said, Behold, I lay in Zion, in Zion, a chief cornerstone, a chief cornerstone. He was saying that the temple is not going to be a literal place on this earth, but the temple is inside every one of you. For you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will walk in them and I will dwell in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God's dwelling place is no longer at Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city of God. Jerusalem was the place that had Mount Zion, that rock where Abraham offered up Isaac, that rock where Islam believes that Elijah Muhammad ascended up to God and got the Koran. Three major religions of the world. That rock is a very special place. But I want to tell you, in the eyes of God, there's another rock. It's not in a temple. It is the chief cornerstone of the building. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, called of God, and those that trust in that cornerstone in Zion, he says, shall never be disappointed and shall never be confounded. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen it afar off, and were persuaded that it does exist and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. Strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. What is a pilgrim? It's a journeying person. It's a person that's on the move. He's going somewhere. He's a pilgrim. A pilgrim. What is a stranger? 
A stranger is a person who's not a citizen. An alien is not a citizen. So every one of us in this house today, we're strangers and we're pilgrims. In what sense? In the sense that this world is not our home. I may leave most any time. The Bible said, these all died, all of these Old Testament saints, not having received the promise, and confessed even that they were strangers and pilgrims. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Seek a country. Hebrews chapter 11, put it up there for me if you will. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. They died in faith, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims, and they say such things declaring plainly that they are looking for another country. Looking for another country. Looking for another country. If you could have walked up to Abraham, that man of faith many years ago, that friend of God, and you ask him, Abraham, where are you going? He would tell you, I'm just looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. A city that has 12 foundations. I'm, I'm seeking something in my future, he said. And for all people of faith that are assembled in this building and are listening today, there is a place that we long to go to. There's a place where we long to be. The Bible said it's another country. They seek another country. They that say such things and they that do such things declare plainly that they are seeking a country. They're a pilgrim. They're a stranger. And truly, verse 15, truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. 16, but now, somebody say now. But now. When is now since Jesus, since God put the chief cornerstone in the building, since God made you a lively stone, since God changed you and brought you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, since God made you a new creature in Christ Jesus, but now they desire a better country. Oh, I hope it's better, don't you? I, I by faith believe it's a better country. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he hath prepared for them a city. Glory to God. Because of that cornerstone, because of God's redemptive activity in building us up as a spiritual house, a spiritual house, Wherein dwelleth righteousness. God said, I'll walk in them, I'll dwell in them, I'll be their God, they'll be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, be an alien, be a stranger, be a pilgrim. Come out from the world, come out from among them and be separate, saith God. You mean God's people are distinguished people? Yes. You mean God's people have some identifying characteristics that the world doesn't have? Yes. We're called the peculiar people of God. We're aliens. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're seeking another city. We're looking for a, another country, a better country. That's a heavenly country where God is not ashamed to be called our God because he's prepared all of this. Where's that word prepared come from? Jesus said, 
You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. We're pilgrims and we're strangers seeking a city to come, seeking a heavenly, a heavenly place. Oh, blessed be God, a city that has 12 foundations whose builder and maker is God. You see, we have to make our lives in this spiritual house fit in with what God is doing in this world. If we don't make our lives compliable to what Jesus did when he was here on this earth, then we have no part with him. It's pretty confident among theologians and students and scholars that what Peter had in mind in these words we've just written come from the Psalm 34. Have you got time for me to read that psalm to you before we leave today? It's got many, many verses in it that you quote all the time. So if you can't remember where you found it, it's most likely in Psalm 34. Listen to what these familiar words. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, and hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I want my Lord to be satisfied with me. I want my life to be what he'd have it be. And when I come to that great and final day, I want my Lord to be satisfied with me. Brother, if you can make your stone Look, that stone that has made the head of the corner. 
if in all of your ambitions, before you start, you'll put that cornerstone down and say, here's where we start. If you're starting out in a marriage, there can nothing be more confident than for a man and a woman to agree, Jesus is going to be our cornerstone. Jesus is going to be our cornerstone. For any business that you start, your first move should be, we're going to place this cornerstone right here and everything else will build according to it. Wouldn't it be great if churches could say the Lord Jesus is our cornerstone and everything else depends upon that. Everything else has to line up with that. Everything else has to come inside those lines or it's not for me. Every time you look at a situation, you ask yourself, is that within the lines? And if it's outside the lines, you say, that's a foul. Not going to have that. Stand with me. A city. A city. I remember Vestal Goodman and Howard and James and Rusty. They've sung for me so many times in so many different places when I was raising money for YWEA and world missions and evangelism when I was in state work. Vestal used to sing, Looking for a City. You used to sing it. It's in that book we call the Red Back Hymnal. Looking for a city where we'll never die, there with sainted billions. Never say goodbye. Whoa. Who wouldn't want to be a citizen of that city? Who wouldn't want to be a part of God's redemptive plan? I want to tell you, I sing it sometimes, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God will be faithful to you if you'll just keep between the lines. And if you may have stumbled at something along the way, and you're not particularly proud of it, but you'd like to say, Lord, I want to get up today. Pastors convinced me that I can get up. Pastors convinced me that I don't have to stay down. Pastors convinced me that if I'll go back and rectify some things and straighten some things out and make Jesus Lord of all, that I can get up and get walking again. I can get going again. I can get going again. I can get going again. See, so many people that started out, they're not in the way today. They started out, but somehow they stumbled somewhere along the way. Their intentions were good. Their goals were ambitious. But somehow or another, they just stumbled and never were able to get back up. But I want to tell you, it's not God's will that you stay down. It's not God's will that you stay in the hog pen. You can come home. You can get up and go again. You can run the race again. You can live a life for God again. Don't let that past thing dominate your future. Don't let it determine who you're going to be. You can today put a stop and an end to what you have been. Today you can start afresh. You can start all over. How do I do that, Pastor? By simply having faith and attach it to grace and hope and say to God, Lord, restore me. God, cleanse me and wash me. I'm sorry for my stubbornness and I'm sorry for my rebellious ways. And I repent of them today. 
And right now, oh God, I submit. Hold on to that word because it's a big part of where we go from here in 1 Peter. It's submission. Submission. Could we just sing it one more time before we go? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Lord, I thank you for bringing us to this place in your presence this morning. I thank you for the word of the Lord that has identified for us the importance of lining up with Jesus. Lord, for those this morning that would say, I, I, I've fallen and stumbled some along the way. But today, Lord, if I know my heart, I want to do your will. If I know my heart right now, oh God, I, I want to do what's right in your sight. Touch me, mold me, and make me. Create within me a right spirit. And Lord, put within me a clean heart. Give me a new start. Give me a new beginning. Give me, oh Lord, a second chance. Hear my cry, oh Lord. Your word was just read by the pastor that the Lord heard our cry and delivered us out of all of our trouble. Thank you for that today, God. I bless you. I praise you. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.